This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Today, we begin our two-part series on The Grim Sleeper. Much like our episodes on Anthony Soul, this series features a killer on the prowl for black sex workers, though The Grim Sleeper's work is done in the inner city of Los Angeles. Without much police involvement, The Grim Sleeper is easily able to prey upon his victims. In part one, we'll meet Lonnie Franklin and dive into his backstory prior to becoming a serial killer. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you thought the name of today's show was a Freudian slip by our useless intern Declan, stick around. Even serial killers occasionally need some time away. This is Necronomapod. Just uh, off air talking about you drinking Nas energy drink. Not Nas, Nas. Nah, I say Nas. Nas energy drink. I mean, I've never seen you drink it before, but you're on it today. Yeah, you burning that midnight oil, making sure uh, our listeners get their episodes. Yeah, I'll be staying up tonight <laughs> editing this one Good for you. Is it the same stuff they use in the cars in uh, Fast and the Furious? <laughs> I think Is so. Nas? They pour an energy <laughs> yeah. drink in the car. The logo looks like it, right? With that. Little arrow. It's the nitrous. I wonder if this energy drink became came because of that movie. Like if that's what they modeled it after. Probably. Or maybe it's been around a lot longer. I don't know. I uh speaking of energy though, I was recently in a situation where I needed a coffee. The only thing available was Starbucks. I don't think I have had Starbucks coffee in it's been over a decade. At least. Yeah. And I ordered a black coffee. I took a sip. I thought I had a double espresso. <laughs> it was so fucking strong. Mm. And I'm not going to say I, I hated it. It wasn't bad. But holy cow. I don't know if it's always been that way. I, I, I was asking Just Brew Jared about it. He knows oh, a little bit a little yeah. bit about coffee. I'm not sold he's an expert yet, but he's a little <laughs> bit about coffee. But he was saying, yeah, they do that because most people order it like with two pumps of this and three pumps of that and cream and all these flavors that there's not a lot of taste left to it. Nobody orders it black from there. And I was like, well, I do. I like my mm. big black coffees. BBC, some people call them. <laughs> um, is it bitter? I always remember Starbucks it was. Bitter. It tasted like an espresso to uh. me. Maybe a little bitter, but just really strong. Like, I felt like my eyes were popping out of my head. <laughs> But it wasn't awful. I didn't think it was bad. I don't. I wouldn't go back. It's not worth what you pay for it. But mm. it surprised me. When I go to Starbucks, I get um, an iced coffee, black, and then I get three espresso shots in it. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, motherfuckers! <laughs> yeah, that's my Starbucks go-to. All right, I don't go to Starbucks. Make a house payment with that bill. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I, I don't go to Starbucks very often. I, I mean, hardly ever. Mm -hmm. But I was in a situation where there was one there and I needed a coffee. And I was like, all right, fine. Ooh-wee. I did not expect that. I like a nice, uh, nice double espresso, though. I like espresso. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I just didn't expect that from the coffee. Right. 
I'll stick with the Just Brew Coffee. It's much better. That Bali is my favorite. That's Absolute. what I drink too, yeah. That's the good stuff. He needs to make iced coffee. Ah. Bottles of iced coffee would be amazing. That's all I drink pretty much all day long. Is I like iced coffee. I think they've hooked you up with that before. Oh, yeah, like he I'm, did. Like yeah, he gave me a big jug of it. Or not talk too much about it. People are going to start fucking contacting them, asking for it. <laughs> yeah. He's get hot at us. It was an off-the-menu uh, order specialty. Yeah. yeah. Came in a jug. I'm waiting for them to do mm-hmm. K-Cups. We'll see. They'll get there. What was our old line? If you're not drinking Just Brew Coffee. Up your standards. <laughs> That's yeah. right. My old ad. <laughs> Up your standards. <laughs> uh, speaking of staying awake drinking coffee, Grim Sleeper. He didn't drink his coffee. Yeah. <laughs> This is very much, and you told us this, I think, when we were talking about doing this episode. This is very much like the Cleveland Anthony Sowell case. Um, sure. Like, it's almost the exact same story yeah. to an extent. Other than, you know, maybe the hidden bodies in a, in a backyard or something. But it's crazy. It's just another targeting that right class and, and, and population of people mm-hmm. that the police don't care, the media doesn't care, the... The neighborhood doesn't care, and you get away with it for how many years? Yeah, long time. Lonnie Franklin, we're getting into well over twenty years before he yeah. gets caught. Isn't that crazy? And kind of like like Soul was like a neighborhood guy. Everyone liked him. They hung out. Like he was a part of the the community. Right. Even kind of like what we talked, Cleveland's Ariel Castro. Right. Like he was accepted as part of the neighborhood. Like one of the guys. He went to their, didn't he go to their vigils? Passed out flyers and went yeah. to look for the girls. Yeah. Soul did. No. Castro, Castro did? Yeah. Oh, I can't, I don't remember that. He was pals or he was cousins or something with uh, Gina's father. Yeah, he was friends with Friends, cousins, yeah. Like well, he was, man. was Gina the, who's the one he got at the Burger King over there on Lorraine? Amanda. He knew somebody in Amanda's family. That's how he got her into his van. Like, oh, I'm so-and-so's friend. I remember his daughter, discussing his it. daughter was friends with someone. That That's what it was. Yeah. I think maybe it was his daughter. It was just, it's one of those, like everyone knows like it's all, they're all connected. It's all mm-hmm. small town. And that makes it easier almost to, you know, no one suspects that it's you. Yeah, if you can do it in your own backyard and you're charismatic enough and whatever that people don't even pay attention. Mm-mm. No one's going to question what you're up to. So Lonnie Franklin Jr. was born on August 30th, 1952 to Ruby and Lonnie Sr. Franklin in Los Angeles, California. Lonnie had a sister that was five years younger than him and an older half-brother Ruby had from a previous marriage. We don't know a ton about his childhood, like if there were warning signs like other serial killers. Lonnie was sick a lot as a kid. He had colds all the time and headaches that were bad enough to keep him laid up in bed for days at a time. It's kind of like Gacy. Gacy had a lot of, he was a very sickly kid. Gacy was? He didn't do well in school, but he had support from his mother to get better grades. In middle school, she hired a college student to tutor Lonnie, but it didn't help. Dummy. (laughs) Lonnie also had support from his father. Lonnie was really into cars, so his father taught him to drive when he was seven years old, and he embraced his love of cars. That's cool dad right there, bro. Teaching you how to drive. Seven? How do you even see over like the dash to drive? Phone books, man. Something. I guess. And, like, seat. and blocks for like the pedals <laughs> right. and stuff. That's good stuff there. Lonnie continued to struggle through school until he was accepted into a work study program where he could put that love of cars to work. And he found that he was really good at being a mechanic. Just like Mike. Mike's uh, pretty big with tinkering with automobiles. Bring your car over. I'll fix the <laughs> carburetor and the, the shocks and the springs and the fuel cell and the pistons. I could, I'll put together your engine in about four hours. I can get it all. You can rebuild it in four hours? I can fix it in four hours. Okay. I don't know if I could do a whole engine. I'm not that good yet. Yeah. I don't want to brag. But, yeah, I'm a big, big fan of cars. All the parts. All of them. Not just some of them. All, all the parts. <laughs> I'm good all at. the parts. Yeah, I could do all the parts. I, my specialty is changing windshield washer fluid. <laughs> Best in the business at changing wiper fluid. Changing it. <laughs> you like siphon it out? Well, you got to get that old stuff out of there, Dave. Come on. Anyone knows that. Three months tops. Otherwise, you're abusing your windshield. And it deserves better than that. 
I'm going to put water in yours one winter so it freeze. <laughs> Shoot, it freezes all over your windshield while you're driving. That sounds real safe. That's a, that's a great prank. You should do that to someone. <laughs> Lonnie was very charismatic and a talker. Something that's going to become a part of his persona later in life. He was also super charming and had no issues finding girlfriends. Then in 1969, when Lonnie was 16, he got arrested for stealing a couple cars. To my knowledge, I don't think he got in any trouble for this. Like it was a slap on the wrist type thing. Well, car theft was legal in 1969. You were just allowed to do that? Yeah, free love, free cars. Just do whatever you want. <laughs> Fuck my wife, steal my car, like anything <laughs> went. Must have been a crazy time, Dave. Apparently. <laughs> The following year, he was expelled from school for getting in a pretty ugly fight with another student. After this, Lonnie's dad told him that the military was going to be the best thing for him. So on July 26th, 1971, Lonnie joined the U.S. Army and was stationed in Stuttgart, Germany. Just lucky they didn't just ship him right over to Vietnam. Jesus. What year was that? 71. Yeah. Yeah, that's real lucky. Well, it was well most, maybe mostly, not lucky. Well, because... <laughs> Maybe he should have been sent to Vietnam. <laughs> that would have been... Might have helped him out a little bit. Yeah. I don't think they were sending as many troops over in 71. They were slowly, I think, pulling troops out by this point. It was mostly Marines, too, going, wasn't it? It was a lot more Marines. Yeah. On April 17th, 1974, while stationed in Germany, around midnight, Lonnie was cruising around in a Fiat with two other members of the U.S. Army when they pulled up to a young woman at a train station waiting for a ride home. The accounts differ a bit because everyone pointed fingers at each other after they got caught. But what we do know for sure is Lonnie was the one driving the car. Two of the men got out to ask her for directions. But before she could get halfway through a sentence, one of the men grabbed her and pushed her into the back of the car. They both got in the back seat with her and one of them had a knife to her throat. Lonnie drove to a field where there were no street lights or anything like that, like a real middle of nowhere type place and forced the young woman to take off her clothes. At that point, all three men took turns raping her, which lasted for about four or five hours. Um, and after a while, she decided that the best chance of survival was to play along and it ended up working so much so that Lonnie drove her home as the sun was coming up and gave her his phone number before she got out of the car. Like he wanted to go out on a date with her. Okay. As he was raping her, he saw something in her eyes and was like, oh, I'm in love with this woman. Mm. This is going to be the start of a beautiful courtship. I don't understand that mentality at all. Like, that just makes no sense. Do some guys think you can win women over by raping them? I think this is just another dumb criminal. You know, how many have we talked about throughout, you know, it's just mm. a dumb criminal who, you know, doesn't think about the consequences of what you're doing, yeah. probably. Yeah. Sometimes we get into like, well, they, they feel invincible, right? Because they've gotten away with so much. It doesn't seem like that's the case here, but he almost has that. I don't know if it's ignorance, kind of that mentality of, I don't know. Can, but I, I, he's just dumb. Yeah. You know? Like that, yeah, like just know. dumb towards all this. Like, oh, I'm, I'm, I raped you, but here's my phone number. Call me. Right. <laughs> that's weird. Talk to you later. There's a, there were inst a lot of those instances, right? Like in Japan also too, with servicemen raping locals and stuff right i just read an entire book on the vietnam war it's called kill everything that move or kill anything that moves and it's it's the Lai massacre mm. happened every month over in vietnam and yeah. it's i mean it's documented but it's never talked about and there it's i don't know if 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 people consciously put the put that part of american history out because they don't want to understand it. But I mean, some of the stuff I read, I think I sent you guys a couple paragraphs from the book. Some of the stuff I read about what American soldiers were doing in, to the South Vietnamese, the ones they were supposed to be help liberating was as bad as unit 731 that we covered. And it happened way too often. And the military covered almost all of it up. Mm. I don't know if that had anything to do with your point, but you had mentioned like what we were doing to the Japanese. Well, yeah, like active war zone, but I mean in, in peacetime, like after the war when we had troops stationed in Germany and Japan, I think there were yeah numerous incidents of things like this happening with locals. Yeah. So in peacetime. Right. Well, and he's in Germany too, so he hasn't even seen action. Yeah. He's just over there. The young woman debated on whether or not to call the police, 
But later that morning, she decided to go report the rape to the police, and she gave them Lonnie's phone number. Police were already investigating an attempted abduction of an 18-year-old girl that happened an hour before the successful abduction and rape of the young woman we're talking about. In the incident with the 18-year-old girl, she was sitting at a bus stop when a Fiat with three men inside slowly pulled up with their lights off. Two of the men attacked her and came really close to pulling her inside the car, but a bystander started screaming for the police and the girl was able to get away. It sounds like a story I heard somewhere before, like five minutes ago. Yeah, exact same thing. <laughs> police asked the young woman if she would call her rapist phone number and say that she wanted to see him again, which this is super, I guess, courageous. I don't know. Yeah, to be I able call to call it courageous, absolutely. To be able to call this person like and just eight converse hours normally, sure. Yeah, yeah. This entire little piece here is incredibly brave like i remember when i we were reading the notes i was like i don't know if i would be able to do that Mm-mm. to go back face to face again with the guy that raped you she would be holding a napkin and as soon as she saw him she was to drop the napkin and the police would arrest lonnie the plan worked flawlessly and um, when they searched him lonnie had the same knife on him that was used to restrain the young woman in the attack the night before which presumably i it seems like he was going to kill her this time. Like maybe he regretted leaving a witness. Like he sobered up and he's like, what the fuck am I doing? And she calls. He's like, holy shit, it worked. Better take care of it this time, though. <laughs> Creep. But I think I think after this, this in this moment, like he figured out he can't leave witnesses alive. I think this is when the serial killing starts. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Got to learn from your mistakes, I guess. Maybe he's not so dumb after all, Dave. Hmm. Maybe not, Mike. Maybe not. <laughs> no, he's dumb. I don't like this guy. I'm not going to stick up for him. Lonnie gave the identities of the other two men, and they were all charged with kidnapping and rape. For this, Lonnie received three years in a German prison, and the other men received four years each in a German prison. Seems light, but uh, this is Germany. It is very light. All those Nuremberg sentences got severely shortened, did they not? Light on crime. A little bit. So it's their political motto. Vote for us. Light on crime. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like they, they let a lot of those Nazis out way early than than they were sentenced, right? Am I remembering this correctly? I think so. I don't know. I don't remember a ton about that. I'd have to go back and read about it. Yeah. But I think I think you're right. I think that's right. Like it was almost like putting on the show, like, oh, you're in trouble. We don't like this. Right. And then like after everyone started looked away, like, all right, get the fuck out of yeah. here. I think that's right. Typically, the U.S. Army would handle something like this, uh, but because the victim was a German national, local law enforcement wasn't going to give the Army a chance to potentially cover up the rape because they would have. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and that's a smart move. Like I said, I don't know. I don't need to get into that. People are going to get mad at me, but there is a history of that. Lonnie only served two years of that prison sentence, and on May 5th, 1976, he was discharged from the Army but for whatever reason, he wasn't given a dishonorable discharge. That would have followed him around for life and would have been a solid step in notifying potential employers or whatever that he was a convicted rapist. But Lonnie just went about his life and moved back to L.A. So he got the honorable discharge then? It was a general discharge. It's like the whatever the middle of the road oh, okay. one was. Right. I think, yeah, there's not like there's the honorable um, just a generic and then the the dishonorable yeah. he was like the generic one that was not great but not bad okay. enough to get you in trouble right. you don't often hear about repercussions of dishonorable discharges like i wonder like how that does follow someone through their life i i guess it doesn't allow you to account for that time on your resume to get credit for that military service but does it come up on a that's what I mean. Like, like a, a report, like, like, like okay, you have to you, explain it away. You just leave that part of your the, life out of. Right. You don't hear about yeah. it. So that's why I'm thinking maybe it doesn't come up because then people just write it off. But then I guess that's my question. And if you're in an interview, you have to explain that lapse of an employment or education. I was right? finding like, myself. Yeah, yeah. Like, what are you doing for these four years? I was backpacking then, across Europe. Yeah. You my just, Canadian <laughs> girlfriend. You probably don't know. Her. <laughs> it's just it's something you don't often hear about. Like when someone gets a sure, dishonorable sure. discharge, I guess usually when you're talking about it, it's like a criminal. And so we're telling that story, but I'm, I'm interested how that would affect someone's day to day life after that. Yeah. I don't think it affects it 
say like a felony conviction or something like that. It's it doesn't not seem like it was. Yeah. But I'm no expert, so what the hell do I know? I had a Man. more than honorable discharge like an hour ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, from our combined in this room, zero day experience on, on uh, serving the United States. It doesn't appear in a civilian background. There you go. Check, so. so essentially, the only thing you really have to do is explain that lapse in either employment or education would be the only thing that an, an, yeah. a typical employer might notice. Right. Okay. Not the worst. No. Once he got back to L.A., Lonnie met and married Sylvia Lino. The two of them had kids, a daughter that was born in 1978 and a son born in 1981. Lonnie worked multiple odd jobs until 1981, um, and in 81, he got a job as a mechanic for the LAPD. That job got him in the door with the Los Angeles Department of Sanitation, which paid better and gave him more hours. Once he got that job, Lonnie started filing multiple injury claims. Between 81 and 88, Lonnie filed a minimum of 10 different claims to the point where a team of three doctors were brought in to check him out and decide if his claims were credible. Two doctors said, absolutely not. He's faking it. But one doctor said Lonnie should receive disability payments. <laughs> this worked out. Uh, he ended up getting his disability and Lonnie was able to sit back, do what he wanted, while getting paid. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. That's a dream for a lot of people, right? Yeah. Just have those checks coming in, not have to do anything. Yeah. Easy street. The charisma of Lonnie helped him build his persona. Everyone knew in South Central LA. He would talk to everyone in the neighborhood and was known as a talker. Like if you didn't want to get into a 15, 20 minute conversation about neighborhood gossip, then you needed to avoid walking past Lonnie's house. I'd walk around the block to avoid that. Yeah, I mm -hmm. hate that small talk like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't want anything like that. How about this weather, huh? Yeah, right. Mm. <laughs> How about the smoke today? I can hardly breathe. <laughs> just like, yeah, like the person that doesn't take the hint, that just keeps talking and talking. Like, you got to like back away. You can only give so many, uh-huh, yep, cool. All right, man. Yep. All right, man. <laughs> okay. All right, man. <laughs> like, there's some... People in my life that I know if I see, I have a rule. Don't let your feet stop moving. I'll talk, and but I'm not going to stop. And then I just, you just keep going. And then mm -hmm. that usually, as long as you can, you don't start verbally engaging. It helps right. you get away. Do those people listen to the show? And are they now thinking and wondering whether it's them or not? Mm. I'm going to leave that mystery open <laughs> and let them have a sleepless few nights. <laughs> Lonnie was known as someone who would be able to help anyone in the neighborhood. He would fix elderly people's cars for free, things like that. And if you needed something, Lonnie could get it for you. He yeah. was the red of the neighborhood. Yeah. How about that? After Lonnie was arrested, multiple people came forward and said the same thing. Like if I wanted a TV, Lonnie got me a TV. If I needed an air conditioner, Lonnie would all of a sudden have an air conditioner. What if I needed a poster of Raquel Welch or a little rock hammer? Could Lonnie give me those things too? <laughs> it sounds like it. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> What's he say? I don't have Raquel Welch down the front of my pants right now, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm sad to say I don't have Raquel Welch down the front of my pants. No, it was Rita Hayworth. Maybe that was, was the Rita first Hayworth. one, Rita Hayworth. Because yeah. that's the name of the actual book from Stephen King, The Shawshank Redemption and Rita Hayworth, something that, like that. Is that yeah. what it is? Did you read the book? Is it good? Have you read it? I don't think I have, no. That would be one. Like, Can you imagine if that book was better than the movie? Because that movie's so damn good. Yeah. If the book was better, which they usually are, I'm going to have to put that on my list. I bet it's not. I don't see how it could no. be. Like, that's one of those perfection movies where I agree. everything's perfect. That's a 10. I read the, the what is it, Wise Guys book, the one that Goodfellas is based mm -hmm. off of. It's a really good book. Goodfellas is better. Yeah. It's just, it's a perfect movie. Right. A lot of times the book's better, or most of the time the book's better, but uh, on occasion. Some of those, yeah, because like you can't get better than Shawshank, Goodfellas. No. Like that, those are, mm -mm. those are awesome films. I'd rather watch The Shining a million times before reading the book. Did you read the book? I read half of it. It's really hard. It's it a lot was, different. It boring. Was so boring. Or, really? Yeah. I think we've discussed that before. Isn't it a book too? The mm -hmm. Stephen King mm -hmm. is 
what's better there? Have you guys read the book? I haven't read any of that. I haven't read. I really don't like Stephen King's books. They're really hard to read. Sometimes it's like three pages of description. I'm like, I'm so bored. I have not read a lot of Stephen King books. I tried real hard with The Shining, but (laughs) I gave up. That was my critique with, I recently, what was it, late last year, I finally read American Psycho. Same thing. We love, like, you've read the book, right? I don't even think I finished it. I just get annoyed after a while. The the book has more killing in it than the movie, which is nice. But the book also has entire chapters based on his reviews of music albums right. uh, what's it's, his name i forget the character brett easton ellis oh uh, uh, the character yeah but brett easton ellis i don't love to begin with i've read a lot of his stuff um, and i don't i don't typically like his writing um patrick bateman thank patrick you bateman. look at this guy i gotta know where <laughs> patrick bateman in the book will have like four or five page chapters on reviewing like that huey lewis album mm-hmm. like that part was taken from the book but it's not a scene where he's killing someone he just reviews an entire album you're like I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I, like, the, like the one was Whitney Houston's debut album, and I was like, I don't care. Oh, that's a masterpiece. You should care. Maybe you learn something about <laughs> but, taste, my friend. Like, if I'm reading Brett Easton Ellis in American Psycho, I want the killing, and yeah. there is some really intense kill scenes in that, um, like sticking like the what is it the gerbils or mice that have like the different pipe and tubing he sticks it up a girl's ass and lets the mice go in and just start like gnawing away at her <laughs> as he's axing her skull like it gets Cut insane yeah but i think overall i like the movie better because it it doesn't have those like i don't want to read an overall 35 pages of music reviews when i'm trying to read some nonfiction. you just want it's murder yeah, exactly. See, he gets it. Ja Rule always gets it. I wish Ja Rule wrote a fictional novel or book. I would read it. Hey, Brett Easton Ellis, you know what I want to read about? It's murder. That's it. Thank you. Lonnie also kind of came off as a role model regarding drugs and alcohol. He didn't touch either of them. There's two different versions out there about this. One where Lonnie drank some beer at eight years old, threw up, and then never touched it again, besides a beer here and there when he was in the military. The other is that Lonnie was in a relationship before his wife, Sylvia, and that woman got addicted to crack. And as a result, Lonnie hated drugs and alcohol and sex workers. Homeless people called them crackheads would be super and just did not like any of that. That seems more likely. Having beer at eight seems... Like a silly story. I had beer at eight and I developed a lifelong love story with the beer. (laughs) I don't remember the first time I I tried beer. I I believe like as a kid, you probably, you know, like your grandpa or someone gives you a sip. Yeah, exactly. But I don't remember. I don't remember it. It certainly wasn't like a turning point where I was like, this is the greatest thing of my life (laughs) I've ever had. Like I'm now going to be a beer drinker. I don't remember when that was for me. First time I caught Kind of, I do, I guess. Later, right? I was the late bloomer when it came to like, like getting into drinking. I might have had drinks, but like when I got first night at college, I had four Budweisers and was like, "This is the greatest night of my life. <laughs> I'm untouchable. <laughs> I'm gonna live forever." <laughs> I was at like some party at some, talking on the front porch to someone about how great Madden was, the video game. It was <laughs> like it was this such a 2004 conversation. Probably wearing like Hollister and a seashell necklace, <laughs> cargo pants with all the pockets and Doc Martin shoes. Four Budweisers. Oh, I wish four Budweisers got me drunk now. Wouldn't that be nice? Can you imagine how great that would be? Four Budweisers? I need four cases of Budweiser. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Even though Lonnie hated sex workers, I think it's safe to say that he was addicted to them. Lonnie had a few friends in the neighborhood that he confided in what he called his girls. Lonnie would show his friends hundreds hundreds of Polaroids that he would take of women that he would pay for sex, almost all of which were addicted to crack or sex workers. If he didn't pay them in cash, Lonnie would offer them crack or alcohol, which is super typical of serial killers that prey on sex workers. Lonnie kept all these photographs in a garage and in a camper that was parked by his garage. But when we said the Lonnie called them his girls like he for real meant that they were his some of his friends testified to this saying that there were times that he would like cut the faces out of the pictures 
because they, they were his girls. Hundreds of pictures. Mm. You can see that in the documentary. Mm-hmm. Just boxes and some of the girls are passed yeah. out in them. Mm-hmm. They're not they all didn't conscious. Look conscious. Yeah. In a lot of those photos. Like I, the first time they showed it, I was like, "Wait, is he taking photos of like their like the corpses?" But I think they were just out of it, which also makes you think like, well. He was, but like how many of these women like did he pay or he get with drugged them till they were out of their mind and then was raping them, sure. taking their photos, letting them wake up, doing that repeatedly before he killed them. Right. And what are they going to do about it? Not going to go to the police because nothing's going to happen. They can't do anything. That was the saddest part of the, well, we'll get into it later, I'm sure. But the saddest part of that documentary was hearing some of those women say like, we can't go to the police. We're we're sex workers. Like mm. they're gonna find an excuse to arrest us, or yeah. do, like we're not protected by them. It was really sad. Could just legalize it, right? You could put some rules on it so people can just live the way they want, make money the way that they. Yeah, want. I mean, it's not the greatest, but it's better, right? As long as everyone's willing, yeah. Then what? Fine, let it happen. Set I think it's a complicated re- thing, but <laughs> yeah. in theory, I'm with you. Be, yes. But it can be, you know, the government would love to regulate it and get their hands in there and get some money sure out of would. it, right? Sure they would. It's the pussy tax. I'm going to tax you on that, the pussy tax. <laughs> pussy tax. Maybe they'll lump them with what? Syntax, right? Probably. Sure, sure, sure. I like it better. Build some ball tax. stadiums. Pussy tax. <laughs> oh, you guys got that new stadium in Cleveland. Yeah, pussy stadium. There it is. <laughs> All that pussy tax. What's that the City Girl song? Pussy Talk. They could do the theme song when they roll out. It's a pussy tax. <laughs> pussy tax. I think we should run for president, and that's our platform. Pussy tax. Legalize prostitution. We're going to tax that pussy. We have no other platform. <laughs> well, men, too. That's We're it. Dick tax. There's a dick tax, too, for the men who want to, you know, dick send, sell themselves. It's a good idea. I'll vote it in. All right. That's the only platform we have. <laughs> Nothing else. We have Foreign no policy. opinion eh, on anything else. Eh, fuck it. Lonnie and Sylvia had a don't ask and don't come in. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. In my personal space dynamic, like uh, Jerry Brudos. Oh, yeah, Jerry. Sylvia never went into the garage or the camper, and she wasn't aware of Lonnie's extramarital affairs, or she just chose to ignore them. Because sex workers weren't the only cheating Lonnie was up to. Lonnie had at least four girlfriends between the time he got married and the time he was arrested in 2010. These were full-blown relationships outside of his marriage to Sylvia. Like, would go to dinner, dates, all this stuff with these women. The last one that we know about, her name was Sonia, which she's going to make a pretty important appearance later in this story. I feel like it's a lot of willful blindness with these situations. Jerry Brudos or these other killers, like she had no idea what was going on. Come on, stop it. John Wayne Gacy's wife. Gacy's she wife. never went into the garage. She wasn't allowed. Come on. There's a lot of that. There's, um, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but there were two people that got hooked up at UFO, like a UFO conference thing, and they decided to kill this guy's wife. It's a really weird mm. story. We'll cover it someday. Um, but that guy's wife had... It was like a don't come in this room type thing. And he was doing all kind of fucked up stuff in there. If somebody tells you you can't enter a part of your house, it's an issue. (laughs) Don't you think, hmm. I mean, unless they're being abused and just kind of like beaten into a submission where they're terrified. I agree. Like, it's just, why would you not go in? Because then then in my mind, I would think like, well, I'm going to be an accomplice to this if this is happening in my house. Under my roof. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Their marriage wasn't great either. Sylvia stayed away from the house for, you know, a couple days a week. Yeah. So she wasn't always there. So a boyfriend? I don't know. Mm. Was she a sex worker or do we not? And we don't know that. No, she was a really church. Remember they showed her in the documentary? 
said she was like super church going. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So she wasn't a part of any of that lifestyle. Like she wasn't out doing that. Hoeing. No. She wasn't hoeing. That's what Pam said in there, right? Yeah. yeah. It's a term from the documentary before you She was the best part of that documentary. She was just, she was awesome. I hope she got a producer mm-hmm. credit because absolutely. I'd love to hang out with her for a day. That she would seems be fun. super fun. Yeah. Like we were talking about earlier and what you said in your intro too, Mike, the sex workers are always a perfect prey for a lot of these serial killers and especially black sex workers. The LAPD made that blatantly known in the 80s by labeling the deaths of black sex workers as NHIs, no human involved. Amazing, isn't it? It's not even, but in that, it was primarily for black sex workers, but I was reading it was also for gang members, mm. drug, basically black people mm. when it comes down to it. By 1983, the deaths of black sex workers got to the point where they could no longer be ignored. At least a group of 13 women who were found strangled and stabbed to death. The thought was that there was one serial killer at work, which the LAPD nicknamed the Southside Slayer. They were also nicknamed the Strawberry Murders at one point because I guess Strawberry was a name for a woman who would have sex for drugs. That's true. Is it true? You knew that? I did know that. Did you know that? I did not. That's an 80s thing, I think. Yeah. Back in the day. Back in the day. When I was cripping. <laughs> in the old days. <laughs> in September of 1985, the LAPD held a press conference and asked the public for help in solving the Southside Slayer murders. And everyone in the community was like, wait, what? You guys have known for two years that there was a serial killer out here or have thought that there was a serial killer out here murdering sex workers and you didn't alert anyone, like warn the sex workers, like watch who you're getting in the car with anything. Yeah, exactly. At least a warning, if nothing else. They are always against, even in movies, they're, no, no, we're not calling this a serial killer. (laughs) Mayor's up for (laughs) re-election this year. We're not going to be saying anything like that. Margaret Prescott was the most vocal critic of the LAPD regarding this investigation, and she formed the Black Coalition Fighting Back Serial Murders. Margaret Prescott very publicly showed the contrast between the LAPD's handling of the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez case, and the Southside Slayer case. We talked about it in the Richard Ramirez episode. He was targeting people in middle to upper middle class neighborhoods, and all the news coverage was focused on that case. The whole city was terrified. Yeah, they're buying dogs and everything. Yeah, and it was the, all the news would talk about. Yeah. yeah, we we have six, five or six different serial killers operating at the same time. Really, we're going to talk about, which is wild, right? In one town. Shit. Margaret's pressure ended up getting the LAPD to raise the reward for information for to twenty five thousand from the original ten thousand. But by December 1987, the commander of the Southside Slayer Task Force told the press that, quote, the flow of clues is almost non-existent at this point. And I think that goes back to the documentary, too, with people saying that they don't trust the police or what are we going to go to the police for? I mean, if you go to, you know, some of the opinion is if you go to the police with a tip, they're going to try and see what you're up to. <laughs> right. If you're right. a sex worker. Yeah. It's such a helpless thought. I couldn't imagine what that would be like living your life that way, thinking that when there's an emergency, you can't call anybody because it's just going to come back at you. Yeah. By this time, the LAPD knew that they were dealing with multiple killers. In 83, like we said, it started with one, the Southside Slayer, but eventually the MOs changed and they were working under the assumption that they were looking for at least four different killers. Through DNA and things like that, cases were solved over the years and the LAPD was right there were multiple killers there was Lewis Crane was responsible for four murders Ivan Hill responsible for eight Michael Hughes murdered six people Daniel Siebert murdered nine people and Chester Turner murdered 14 people the same kind of victim pool sex workers wow it must be difficult to investigate you know concurrent serial killers tapping the same victim pool with similar MOs, right? Oh, but that's really so. difficult. I mean, I think this show has taught us even when police are, are doing their best, 
it's difficult to find one serial killer based on the MO, let alone all of these. And now you're trying to differentiate which one might go with what. Oh, yeah. What goes to what task force, what, you know. I mean, not, not excusing how they handle it and not getting the word out and stuff, but that's oh, no. a really difficult sure. job. Yeah. I'm not so, making an excuse. I mean, that whole NHI explains everything you need to know about their mm-hmm. thoughts. The book that I read, The Grim Sleeper by Christine Pelsnick, she talks about the kind of the contrasting here, like the NHI mm-hmm. term, but then the workload of how many of these murders were showing up on the desk of one detective. Mm. So it's hard to begin with, but it's almost impossible if you don't have the manpower to even look at it properly. And then, and then if you are a good detective and you are trying to figure it out, people won't talk to you because of how other yeah. things have played out. It makes it very difficult and the perfect place for these guys to operate. As Ja Rule would say. It's murder. <laughs> they just need him on every task force. Ja, what do you make of this? It's murder. God damn it. Why didn't we think of that? He's right. <laughs> Chief of police. He knows. Chief ja. He always knows. <laughs> Chief Ja. Just like Santa Claus. <laughs> Chief Ja knows. Ja, we need you to come to this crime. <laughs> Go ahead, boy. Like, ja, we need you to come to this crime scene. We can't figure it out. What do you make of this? Hmm. It's murder. Son of a bitch. He got it again. Holla, holla. <laughs> He is like Santa Claus. He just keeps his eye on you all the time. That's right. Making sure you're doing good. He knows if you've been bad or good. <laughs> Start taking his face and putting him like in the back of bathroom stall. So when you shut the door to like poop, it's just John. It's like Jaws watching. <laughs> it's poop. He's pooping. Even though these killers eventually got caught, back in the late 80s, there were still two groups of murders that stood out. The first group were all killed with a 25 caliber handgun, all black sex workers, aside from a male who was presumed to be a friend of one of the women or possibly knew the identity of the serial killer. Maybe saw him dump a body or something like that. Mm. And then all of those victims were shot close range and dumped in alleyways or dumpsters. Were they beaten or tortured or, or anything prior to being shot? Doesn't seem like it. All no. sexually assaulted. Okay. That's a, every one of them. Every one of them. Yeah. Right. So kind of just like, I'm done with them. Boom. Yeah. Just a quick shot and pushed out into the street. Mm. And a lot of like garbage, you know, the alleyways, it's not just like just dump the body and leave. Some of them were like buried under garbage. Like one, one of the women had a roll of carpet put over top of her, stuff like that. So he tried to hide them at least a little bit. Minimal effort. A little bit, though, but I think it was the one with the cart with the carpet over top of her. Her leg was sticking out. Like you would clearly see it if you were walking by. Mm. So again, either a bad criminal or just lazy, lazy, or felt untouchable. Felt he was going to be under the radar. Mm. Like let him find the body. It's a sex worker. No one cares. Type mindset. Something you see every day. Not not the ordinary. They're not going to find it. right. So that group of murders was Deborah Jackson, age 29. That happened on August 10th, 1985. Henrietta Wright, age 34, August 12th, 1986. Then Thomas Steele, age 36, August 14th, 1986. That, that kind of makes sense that maybe Thomas Steele saw something because two days later. Two days later, though? It, mm. to, to find him, maybe. The s- same gunshot? No sexual assault or anything like that. Just a gunshot. Just a gunshot on him. Yeah. Mm. But it's the only known victim of this this group used with this twenty five caliber gun. Only male. I was gonna say, how do they know it's him? They match the ballistics to the to the gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the same gun was used in all of these murders. Barbara Ware, age twenty three. That was on January tenth, nineteen eighty seven. There was a 911 call made for her murder, and a lot of people think it's Lonnie that called this in, kind of doing that serial killer yeah. game playing a bit. Mm-hmm. Or it might be somebody that for real just saw it. We don't know, but there are a lot of people that think it was Lonnie. And this is, I think we have the slowed down version. Yeah, right? I found a slowed down version because the, the original is a little, I don't know, I guess a little, it's not terrible. It's a little hard to understand, so they just slowed this down a little bit so you could enunciate and hear it a little bit better. 
Yeah, I like to put a, a murder, a dead body, a drunk. Where at? The address is 1346 East 56th Street in the alley. And the guy that dropped the arms was driving a white and blue Dodge van, 1PZP746. Okay, are you saying P like a tuss? P like a puppy. P what? One P Z. Like a zebra? Uh-huh. P. Like a tuss? No, P. Like a pup. Two P. Like uh, pup. Right. Uh-huh. Seven, four, six. What color band was it? Blue and white. Did you get a look at him? Uh-uh, I didn't see him. How long ago did this happen? It happened about, about 30 minutes ago, so I'm down the street at the phone, so it happened about 30 minutes ago. And, uh, you know, he, like, he threw her out. The only thing was hanging out of this, like, he threw a gas tank on top of her, and, uh, and the uh, only thing you can see out is her feet. I see what's your name. Huh? What's your name? Oh, I'm saying to knock this. I know too many people. Okay, then, bye-bye. All right. No, pee like in pussy tax. Pee. <laughs> Personally, I don't think that was him. You don't think so? I don't think so. That's just me personally. It's not like a drunk guy. Well, we had it slowed down. Yeah. The way he reacted at the end when she asked for his name, he's like, ah, and then he's like, started laughing. I know too many people. Yeah. And she even laughed. She was like, all right, bye. <laughs> That makes me think it's not him. But it's important because it comes up later as a misstep on the LAPD because they didn't play this. They didn't even try to put this out as a clue mm. until 2009. Oh, my God. <laughs> 2009. Um, after Barbara Ware, there's Bernita Sparks, age 26. That happened on April 15th, 1987. Mary Lowe, 26, November 1st, 1987. Latricia Jefferson, age 22. That was on January 30th, 1988. Inez Warren, she was 28 years old. That was on August 15th, 1988. And Alicia Alexander, she was 18 years old, September 11th, 1988. The second group that were unsolved were all killed with a 9mm gun. That was Judith Simpson, Cynthia Walker, and Latanya Johnson. They were all killed in late 1988. This all seemingly came to an end with two events, the attack of 30-year-old Anitra Washington and the arrest of LAPD Sheriff's Detective Ricky Ross. Because just the coincidence of these two things happening makes everybody, including Margaret Prescott, kind of drop their guard a bit and think that the serial killing is over. Makes sense. It's the logical thing. On the evening of November 20th, 1988, Anitra Washington got ready for a party that she was going to with her friend Linda. After she got dressed for the night, Anitra started walking to Linda's when an orange Ford Pinto pulled up alongside her. The driver, she said, was a black man in his early 30s, and he asked her if she wanted a ride. Anitra said that the guy looked like a nerd. Uh, she also said a geek in one of the other reports. She said he was wearing a black polo tucked into his khaki pants. And she said, no, like, you're not my type. Hey, you want to go play Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> I'm a dungeon master. Declan, where were you on November 20th, 1988? You fucking lying piece of shit. We're going to talk about this when the show's over. It might have been him. He spent some so. time on the West Coast. He told me. I wasn't, you know. Was I Declan like a 30-year-old black man in the, in the <laughs> late 80s? I don't question Declan's <laughs> life up until this point. He has us believing he was in Vietnam, too. I don't okay. believe that either. Right. <laughs> eh, can I put my pen in your pocket protector? See, that sounds yeah. exactly like something he would say, though, right? Like, it's... I don't know, we'll talk to him more. Right. I won't put anything past it yet. I'm considering him still a suspect. <laughs> you do that. You get, let us know what happens. And Nietzsche said that the man replied with, quote, that is what's wrong with you black women. You think you're all that. She took it as like kind of a sarcastic joke type thing, and they kind of went back and forth on it, and Anitra decided to get in the car, that the guy looked harmless, like whatever. 
they got to talking about what was going on that night. And when Anitria told the man about the party, he asked if he could come. Anitria told him, yeah, it shouldn't be a problem. And the man said that he just needed to swing by his house real quick to grab some money. She said that they pulled up to a mustard-colored house, and the man went inside for about 10 minutes. When he came back to the car, Anitria said his whole demeanor was different. He said, quote, why did you dog me out? Anitria was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And at that point, the man called her by the name of, of a very well-known sex worker in the area. Anitra had been confused for this woman before. They looked a lot alike, but she got pissed at this guy's like, fuck you, I'm not her, don't talk to me like that, because he was getting really nasty with her. And then without hesitation, the man shot her in the chest with a 25 caliber handgun and started driving Oof. away. This sounds like he had wrong place, wrong time. It wasn't even who he was looking for, right? Yeah, yeah she wasn't even a victim of the... Wow. Sexual nature. It seemed like revenge. It took a minute for Anitra to lose consciousness. She started asking the man why he shot her, and then she passed out. She woke up to the flash of a Polaroid camera and realized that the man had raped her, and now he was taking pictures of her. The two of them started struggling, and the man started driving his car again as this fight was going on. He pulled over in an alleyway, repeatedly beat Anitria in the head with his gun, and then pushed her out onto the ground and drove away. Anitria got up and walked the multiple block walk to her friend Linda's house. Linda had gone to the party. She figured Anitria just stayed in for the night. And when Linda got home at you know, 1 a.m., it was a long time after, she found Anitria lying on the front porch, passed out and covered in blood. That is a crazy story. Shot in the chest, you're <clears throat> pistol whipped. Why didn't he get out and shoot it's her in the head real. though? He why would he why would he leave her like Maybe that? Maybe he thought he'd beat her to death. Mm. Beating her in the head that many times and shooting her. Maybe, I mean, like again, he's dumb. He's not a smart criminal. Maybe he just thought yeah. I I killed her. Or again, maybe he thought, who cares? Someone will find her and then or she'll bleed out in a little yeah. bit anyway or something. Maybe even that yeah. too, sure. Man. That's scary, dude. You get shot, you pass out, and then you wake up. You're probably disoriented. Fucking bullet hole in your chest. It's lunatics taking pictures of you. That's crazy. Had he just raped her, too? Mm-hmm. And to remember it all or have, like, in and out, mm. you know, moments of consciousness. Anitra was rushed to the hospital, and she survived the attack. The twenty-five caliber bullet was lodged in her chest, but thankfully doctors were able to remove it fully intact. The police found out that the bullet came from the same gun used in that group of nine murders we talked about, so they had a surviving witness to their serial killer. Then, almost within the same breath, the 9mm gun used to kill Judah Simpson, Cynthia Walker, and Latanya Johnson was linked to LAPD Sheriff's Detective Ricky Ross. And that's where we'll pick back up on part two. What the hell? To be clear, it's not Rick Ross. It's not Rick Ross. Okay. He's not hustling the re- every day. Yeah, not the hip-hop artist. Also not the cult expert Rick Ross. <laughs> There's a lot of Rick Rosses out there. Yeah. Stop naming your kids fucking Rick Ross. <laughs> I like Rick Ross. Big Rick Ross fan. Mm-hmm. His his house in uh, Georgia is so sweet. Really? The state yeah. he's got. Oh, I like yeah. Rick Rick Ross. We're talking about the cool. rapper, right? Oh, the, yeah. I don't know if you were the, what is he, the UFO expert? What was The he? cult the expert. Cult. Sorry. Yeah, like <laughs> he was talking about the cult guy. Yeah, well, I didn't house. know. I was like, this guy's got a sweet house. <laughs> I, I like how he just uh, puts Dave? dissects all the occults, Mike. And yes, I'm a big fan of Dave. His. Watches a lot of documentaries. I thought maybe he saw cult expert Rick Ross's house, and he was a big fan. <laughs> we don't even know why he's called the Grim Sleeper yet. No, how about hell, that? It was a hell of a cliffhanger. Mm. Can't wait to come back. Yeah, we're gonna kick off part two with the LAPD. Really dropping the ball, not even dropping the ball, just almost blatantly not giving a fuck about this investigation. Mm. Some aspects. Well, there's not much to get into, like a, a final thought on this because we're going to mm. get into more. Just a wild, uh, wild first part. It's just amazing the things that go on, you know, when you when you get into the it's behind the scenes. It's of, so of sad crimes like this. Yeah, it's really sad. The scary thing about. All that stuff, too, is that the FBI says that there's, at any given time, there's 25 to 50 active serial killers in the country. Presumably most of them targeting these type of victims. Especially nowadays with technology and things, 
I feel like it would be really hard to pull off a serial murder like Ted Bundy or or something. A lot harder, at least. Yeah, harder. Because you know your your third cousin that you never met decided to get his uh, DNA on ancestry, and then they catch you. You know, yeah, it's not easy anymore with security cameras everywhere. It's not. It's not like the good old days of the seventies and eighties. Yeah, it's a different world now. So presumably they would be targeting, you know, sex workers yeah. still. I feel like we're going to start seeing even more of these cases where your relatives get you caught on ancestry because you can't, you can't hide from it. This, you see this case in Boston where the, that attorney, they ran old rape kits and uh, from when, like 20 years ago in Boston. Have you seen this at Mm-mm. all? Mm-mm. Tons of rapes that he did back when he was whatever, 20 years ago and, uh, caught up to him from ancestry yeah i like that that's a good i know advancement in technology yeah. you're like um what's your defense like i didn't know this was going to be available when i was doing this <laughs> stuff so i don't think you should allow this uh this is inadmissible i had no idea this would be around i would have never killed all those people if i knew that uh my dna would be on file for my dumb ass uncle your honor, it was my understanding it wouldn't be this difficult to get away with it. <laughs> We're going to get into some familial DNA next week with this case and the some of the interesting laws about how that investigation needs to play out that I learned. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. The first big one I can think of with that was uh, the Golden State Killer that got caught with that familial yeah, DNA. Yeah. Through that. that had to have everybody... Every scumbag in this country is freaking out like, oh, fuck, I'm going to get busted. I know. Yeah, They're probably at Thanksgiving dinner, like, talking to their relatives. No, you should, should do that. It's stupid. <laughs> yeah, that sounds dumb. Don't do that. Yeah, Dude, they're just going to bust you on something else. They're going to find out that you drank, you were drunk driving last February if you give them the DNA. You shouldn't do that. They're going to clone your penis with a sheep or something. And just uh, You want to give them your DNA. How does that work with ancestrydesk.com then? Like, is there like a little drive on your laptop that you just come in and they get your <laughs> DNA? Like, is that how that works? Yeah, that's exactly Or do you have to works. mail them like a cup sample? Mail it to them. Okay. But you just swab your tongue. You don't have to blow no, them a cup. No, that's ridiculous. There's not good DNA in your tongue. It's all, you know, comes from the balls. <laughs> For the re- good DNA. Well, you really find out who your family is. They can go back generation upon generation <laughs> upon generation. Uh, <laughs> Could you imagine if you were working for Ancestry and you opened up a package and something just came <laughs> yes, yes. all over it? Was it was like one of the actual swaps was just cum covered. So it was cake. Do you guys remember we had an early episode where everyone was hammered and we were having this discussion yeah. under the assumption that that was real? We're like, what are we talking about? <laughs> I don't think fucking it was me to blow here. a load to get your DNA. <laughs> I don't know how we came to that. But something, uh, yeah, I don't know. You're like, or you could... Swab your cheek with the <laughs> Q-tip. We just assume there's people lined up on the sidewalk with cups and guys are just like, uh, 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 right into it. There's going to be, I bet you for those at-home pregnancy tests, I, I bet you they'll start uh, subpoenaing, that inf- subpoenaing that information. Pregnancy tests? No, paternity tests. Oh, you said pregnancy tests. Oh, I'm sorry. Paternity, right. yeah. paternity tests. Yeah. Sure. Because those are a new thing. I saw those. Ori. Yeah. Oh, he, yeah. he has his own brand. I know. I saw that. A couple a weeks ago. A lot of people sent it to us. Because a, a couple weeks ago I said it put him out of business. That's why he retired <laughs> is because of those things. But he's, he's like, got his own brand. Dad, I'm getting back in the game, bitches. He sends you a little cameo video. You are not the father. It's <laughs> your money's worth with Maury. It is that would weird, be though, sweet. Huh. I would actually do one to get a thing from Maury. Him just telling me I'm the dad of my kids. <laughs> <laughs> the ancestry thing is weird though because every because i've done that and then just every now and then you're like oh you have a new connection here's a third cousin you've never met and never will talk to thanks all right thanks cool <laughs> never heard of them thank you but yeah i agree you're gonna start seeing a lot more of that remember that one guy that documentary that guy that was the fertility doctor and he was using oh, his yeah. own that's really fucked up gross that whole fucking town was related to each other and stuff yeah that was something i read a um biography recently on uh president warren harding and 
I think it, this book came out in the early ish two thousands and the author was very pro Warren Harding, I guess, so to speak. Um, but Warren Harding has had a lot of negative. Warren Harding's always looked at as one of the, the worst presidents in history, kind of ranked low, had a lot of negative publicity. There was a lot of scandal surrounding his, his cabinet, maybe not necessarily his doing. But there was a book written, I believe the lady's name is Nan Britton, Nan Witten. Anyway, she alleged to have had an Ill, his illegitimate child. Mm. He was a known adulterer. And when he was in the Senate for Ohio, prior to becoming president in 19, elected in 1920, that they had had a child out of wedlock when, when he was kind of running around with her on the side. And this author of the book I read was like, you know, her book, you read it, it's a lot of, there's no evidence to support anything she says. Paternity tests evolve, they find out. Yeah, it's fucking Warren Harding's daughter. <laughs> so I bought the book, her book on Amazon. It might be a future uh, Mike's History wow, Corner. That's why awesome. that's interesting. It, it, I don't know how long, I don't know how much meat there is to that story to make a full show of it, but mm. it's interesting nonetheless that the, you know, the president of the United States had a, an illegitimate child that, you know, was in secret and yeah. behind his wife's back and can't escape your DNA denied forever. I mean, he, he died in office. So this was well after he, he had passed, but all of his supporters were like, eh, there's no evidence that that ever happened. This lady's a cool, like she had a self published the book. Nobody would take it at the time. Good for her. And then boom, it's his daughter. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah. would be an asshole. Yeah. Loser president. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Warren Harding. God damn. <laughs> One of Ohio's finest, Dave. No, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> We're one of Ohio's finest. Boom. He is not. Although I, you know, we had a good run going. We had so many presidents from Ohio. I think he's the last one. He ruined it. What year was this? He was elected. He was president nineteen twenty one to nineteen twenty three. Elected in twenty. So like after right Woodrow Hoover. Wilson, it was Coolidge then Hoover. Coolidge, Coolidge was Harding's yeah. vice president. Okay. That's yeah. right, because he died in the office. That's yeah. right. And then Coolidge took over. I kind of like Calvin Coolidge, but that'll be a whole other conversation. Warren Harding, eh. I'm a scumbag, sounds like. We'll save that for another history show. But Can't paternity wait. tests, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Who came in a cup and out of that motherfucker? <laughs> I bet if we could go back and, and kind of set family trees straight with some paternity testing, uh, be a lot of... A lot of new branches grown here and there, and a lot, of, a lot of changes made to people's family trees. How many years. presidents do you even sure, think have? Sure. You know, like all them running around they used to do, and you know, maybe even still up until, who knows? There's a lot of tomfoolery going on. Sure. All right. All right. Well, let's uh, go to Patreon. Thank you to new patrons, Link Little. Hey, it's Eugene. <laughs> It was an exclamation point, so I read yeah. it with the uh, <laughs> emphasis there. Michael Marquez, Rebecca Nelson, Tyler LaForge, Elizabeth Lenz, Eve Bissonette, Anne Incognito, KG, Close Your Blinds LLC, Jay Garrick, Emma Lauer, Mike Can Ride My Wife With No Handlebars. <laughs> that sounds unsafe. If I fall off, <laughs> you wear a helmet. <laughs> Can you imagine? Well, not a cock helmet. A hat helmet. A Jimmy hat. Yeah. I'm wearing a Jimmy. Well, I'll wear it. No. Anyway. Wait, I hope Cucks Across America is safe. Uh, Jimmy hat should be mandatory. Oh, well, they got to provide tests first, and okay. I get tested right. regularly. Well, all right, that's fair. Um, we're responsible. All right. Paul, Ethan Mahoney, Andrew Dykes, Joey Cleary, Trinity Brown, Tristana. Laura Feltner, Claire Carter, Georgia Shannon, Ricky Brokaw, Michelle America. That's a very patriotic name here for the July 4th weekend. Hell yeah. Back up, Michelle, back up. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think she just wants to be called Miss America? Maybe so. That's what. (laughs) Benjamin Milnes, Annie Gallagher, Kelly Kay, Trent Gwynn, Nicholas Hubbard Brucker. Holly Schultz and Christine. Thank you so much for your support, new patrons. Uh, we got reviews for iTunes. I have one for Indie Zebra, Rollins Girl, and Samantha Loves Dave. Oh, hi, Samantha. Back. How are you today? 
What's she doing now? Just trying to fucking win that cage death match? Yeah, she said we're still the best, still her favorite. Nice. Okay. Doesn't seem like much has changed. Nor should it. <laughs> There's Steve Samantha. We got anything uh, across the seas or north of the border? I have uh, one international shout out to Stylesman666 from uh, our neighbors up north in Canada. Thank you, Styles, man, for the kind words. Don't love the air coming from up there. Yeah, you're killing us in yeah. Canada right Could now. do without that, pal. We're in a dangerous range here. I can't even go outside. You know what we need to do? We need to build a wall. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll stop that smoke from coming over. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Um, I think we got a sticker sale. Yeah, let's run a sticker sale this weekend, uh, Celebrate America. I think we do it every year. I think we do. Seven dollars four cents, three pack of stickers. Whoa, whoa, what? Get it while it's hot. <laughs> three stickers for seven dollars and four cents. Can't beat that. Bend me over and take my money. <laughs> How could you not? You have to order. People at home have been thinking for uh, debating whether or not to make that purchase. Click on those stickers. Seven dollars and four cents now, you'd be a fool not to. You'd be out of your mind. Running uh, now through. Until eh. I remember to take it off. Yeah. <laughs> so take it back. It might be July weekend. 5th. It might be uh, November. We'll see. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Get I'm 100% going to forget all about this <laughs> after try. tonight. I'll try not to, but we'll see. Okay. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, the top tick at Necronomapod, Patreon.com. Search Necronomapod, Amazon.com slash Necronomapod for merch and Necronomapod.com for all of the things you want, Necronomapod and the sticker sale. The stickers are exclusively at Necronomapod.com. All right, you guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. <laughs>